We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, welcome to another edition of The Butting Heads. Social awareness. That's to take a piss. Don't take a shit in the porta potties. All right. from Ramsuck Radio. I'm Steve Ribeiro. As always, I'm here with Johnny Gomez. Johnny, Aaron Donald, as we do this podcast, is now a three-time Defensive Player of the Year. And I think it might – who knows how many more he's going to win uh, by the time we're done doing this podcast. Seriously, man, I I don't think it's a stretch to say that uh, this is probably not his last Defensive Player of the Year award. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, he, he has tied J.J. Watt and Lawrence Taylor for the most all-time at three. Seems very possible that he breaks that record. Um, but, hey, time, topic for another discussion, I suppose, or a discussion we're going to have in, like, one minute. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you guys haven't yet, please, if you're listening to this podcast and Apple Podcasts, Feel free to throw out a five-star review for us. Uh, it'll help us get more listeners, get more sponsors, and provide you guys with a better show. Um, and to this week's pod, we are going to be talking about Aaron Donald, as we said. We're going to hit on the Hall of Fame announcement that came out from that night, and we will do part two of our NFL player grades. But, I mean, I, no point in beating around the bush, Johnny. Let's talk about it. Aaron Donald wins Defensive Player of the Year. He gets 27 votes from the 
voters out of 50. T.J. Watt got 20. Xavier Howard got three. There are a lot of angry Steelers fans and relatives of T.J. Watt and also, I guess, T.J. Watt himself with this award. And, like, the biggest thing that people keep posting, including J.J. Watt posted it, was that T.J. Watt had better numbers. And, like, I don't understand how people aren't grasping the fact that they don't play the same fucking position and that Aaron Donald getting 13 and a half sacks out of an interior defensive tackle position is more impressive than T.J. Watt getting 15 as an edge rusher because edge rushers tend to have more sacks, okay? Like, let's be honest, if T.J. Watt played for the Rams, he might break the single-season sack record lining up next to Aaron Donald because guys like Leonard Floyd and Dante Fowler, no disrespect to them, are getting double-digit sack totals. Um, So it's just, I'm not even going to, like, really dignify going through all this stupid picture of the stats that... T.J. Watt has better than Aaron Donald, which includes things like pass defenses and interceptions. And, like, I don't really think you need to compare that when you're comparing a outside linebacker to a defensive tackle. Like, I, I just can't believe, like, how, like, this thing has spread so much because he led the NFL in major categories when they play different positions. And anyone who, like, watches football knows that it's much harder to rack up numbers when you're a defensive tackle than when you're an edge rusher. You know, uh, the the funny thing is uh, I, I was thinking about this a lot when they announced Aaron Donald as the defensive player of the year. Uh, and to tell you the truth, you could make an argument for both players. You really could. You know, T.J. Watt had a hell of a year, and I don't think anyone can deny that. But you can't deny that Aaron Donald had an equally as impressive year. And you can make an argument that he had a more impressive year just because of the position he is. He's an interior defensive lineman, as Steve mentioned. This is not a position that typically gets double-digit sacks. You know, that in and of itself is amazing. And the fact that he continues to do that and make players around him better is beyond impressive it's it's just mind-blowing how people don't see that especially because when you see guys like tj watt it's something very common for a guy in that position to get double digit sacks it's very i mean that's literally their their purpose as a position and is to get to the quarterback the edge position is literally the the point of of the position and you know not taking anything away from him because it was impressive you know it was something uh you know to be proud of but to sit there and say that the stats tell everything and you know clearly Aaron Donald doesn't deserve the award because he has you know, bigger stats kind of shows you the type of NFL that uh, most fans live in. They live in basically the fantasy football world, which, you know, hey, I, I, I agree. You know, sometimes stats do tell a lot of the story, but is it everything? 
no, not really. And Aaron Donald is a big, big factor in all of this. And I, I think this opens up a lot of eyes, or it should open up a lot of eyes to people uh, when, when they count stats over the actual play of the game. It, it's just, it's amazing to me that uh, people were just saying that Aaron Donald did not deserve the award. You know, I can understand why you would think T.J. Watt deserves the award, but to downplay Aaron Donald, nah, I'm sorry. Aaron Donald deserves this award just as much as T.J. Watt does, if not more. He for sure deserves it more. I don't really, it's not, I don't, it doesn't even seem like that much of a discussion to me. And, like, people are throwing out the numbers as the biggest examples. Okay, I have some numbers for you, Johnny. Uh TJ Watts, 15 sacks that led the league. The lowest number to lead the league in sacks since 1996 when Kevin Green, rest in peace, led the league in sacks at 14 and a half. The only two players over the last decade have led the league in sacks and won Defensive Player of the Year. Their names are Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt, who are two of the best defensive players ever. Um, and T.J. Watt could. Sure, he could go get to that level and be on that road, but I don't think he's playing at a all-time elite level, uh, which Aaron Donald is. And like you mentioned, yeah, he plays interior defensive tackle. It's just like, like what? It's not even like, it, <laughs> yeah, he got TJ Watt great year, first team All Pro, sure, but like he he wasn't the if if we're going down this numbers road like those numbers don't scream defensive player of the year they're not that much better than Aaron Donald's and he plays a different a position that is so much more advantageous to racking up numbers than what Aaron Donald plays like if if we're sitting here talking about like looking at this list the 19 and a half sacks Robert Mathis had in 2013 and he maybe he loses to Aaron Donald that's a different story Justin Houston of 2014, 22 sacks, didn't win Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, it's not the whole story. Uh, Shaq Barrett last year, 19 and a half sacks, didn't win Defensive Player of the Year. Okay, like, it's just now all we care about is stats. Like, I'm sorry, man. Like, you didn't have as good of a year as Aaron Donald. Your defense wasn't as good as the Rams' defense. Uh, and I know, like, recency bias doesn't matter, but the Steelers, came, I mean, the Rams kind of did too, but the Steelers really caved in at the end of the year. So I get why Aaron Donald won this award, and also he should have won the award. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that uh, Aaron Donald is at least in the same breath. You know, if you talk to certain uh, if you talk to certain Steeler fans, they'll say that T.J. Watt far surpassed him this year, and it just it it's kind of comical reading some of the Twitter comments. It's ridiculous. Um. Like, let's be honest, man. I am not to take anything away from him. He's, he's a great player, but if his name was Leonard Floyd, he would not be in this discussion. <laughs> if oh, Leonard man. Floyd played for the Steelers this year, put up those numbers, he would not be in this discussion. Aaron Donald probably would have won it unanimously. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. People I... are they're trying to push the uh, two brothers winning the award thing. Like, not taking anything away from TJ. Again, he is a great player. He's really good. He 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 lives up to his own right as a good player. But this really shouldn't have been a debate. And like the numbers historically don't automatically mean you win defensive player of the year because you led the league in sacks. 
Shaq Barrett last year had more sacks, didn't sniff the award. Yep, that that says it all right there. Okay, well, speaking of Aaron Donald, <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite tidbits from the week is Adam Schefter, uh, I think this was Sunday, reported that when the Rams called the Lions about starting trade talks on Matthew Stafford, the Lions asked for Aaron Donald. He was the first player they asked for. The Rams said no. Uh, but I got to say, man, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Why wouldn't any every GM do this to start a trade talk? Like, I'm not a GM, so I don't really know how this works, but, like, why wouldn't you ask? It's like, hey, uh, is there a Donald on the table? Because if he is, you know, I know you guys have a cap situation right now. Uh, we can we could lighten some of your cap space load there by, you know, taking Aaron Donald off your hands. <laughs> right. Yeah, dude, I'm a, I, I respect it. I, I love that they asked. I, I think it's hilarious. Um, I'm glad the Rams said no, but, uh, and listen, I'll be honest. I don't think the Rams should trade Aaron Donald ever, ever. but like there are quarterbacks where if they were offered to the Rams, you would have to think about trading him. But Matthew Stafford at 33 years old is not one of them. No, no, not even close. <laughs> no. Um, but more on this trade from, from Schefter too, that came out. The Carolina Panthers, apparently, like, the, when things were really heating up, they their final offer for Matthew Stafford was the eighth pick in this year's draft, a fifth-round pick, and Teddy Bridgewater. Compared to the Rams' offer of two first-round picks, but not this year, and likely to be later picks, like, I, things would have to go really poorly for those to even be top ten, I would say, based on what Sean McVay has done with lesser quarterbacks. Rams offer two first-round picks, a third-round pick that's late this year, I think, and um, and Jared Goff, who is on a very albatross contract with a lot of time left on it. So I think, to me, like the the full report of that Panthers offer, what the which the Lions were considering, and for whatever it's worth, a the Rams did have to throw in that extra first-round pick to get this trade done because that offer is a lot worse without it compared to this because. The eighth pick in the current year is much more valuable than a future first-round pick that isn't likely to – like the teams that is trading these picks isn't likely to implode over the next two years. Uh, there's a chance that the Rams go 7-9. and nine. I, I, I doubt it, but like that's, that's a real possibility, and that pick is in like the early teens. But there's no cha- – the odds of it being eight or higher are pretty low. It would take a lot of injuries, which in the NFL is possible. Um, so you have to add in that second pick. And also, I think it's indicated that the Lions actually do want Jared Goff because you get Teddy Bridgewater. He's a capable quarterback. He's fine. You could easily start him for this year. And he's very cuttable at the end of the year, whereas Jared Goff is, has a lot more complicated of a contract. So I think it's, uh, it's just an interesting tidbit. And clearly, like even if the Rams overpaid a little to get Stafford by some metrics, the, um, they had to do it. You know, to tell you the truth, I feel like the the Lions might have benefited more by taking the Panthers deal, even with this current this current uh, trade with that the Rams have. Now, I understand that the Rams are surrendering two future first round picks, which, in the grand scheme of things, allows the Lions to be a little bit more creative, considering 
that they are going to be as creative as, say, like a Les Snead and, you know, maybe use the extra picks to either trade up or trade down or whatever the case may be, or maybe even get other players in the process. So in that regard, that's kind of true. But like you said, Steve, it's not as though the the Rams are going to really be in a very high pick. You know, I highly doubt that the Rams even have a top 15 pick in the next two or three years, you know. So that being said, it I, I think I still would prefer the 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 Panthers trade here because you know that that eighth overall pick you're you're inclined to get somebody really really talented there now it's not a guarantee but neither are the two first round picks later on you know so as for Teddy Bridgewater he's okay I don't know if I would say he's better than Goff I don't know if I'd say he's worse than Goff um uh, yeah, I. <laughs> it's just one of those things where I I think you can make an argument for either trade here. I I personally, if I'm if I was the Lions, I might take a closer look with the Panthers and maybe try and up their fifth round pick to maybe like a third or fourth, saying, "Hey, you know, we're almost there. You know, let's try and get you know a proper trade on the table." But hey, I'm glad it worked out in the Rams' favor, but. I don't know, may, maybe they should have went another route, especially if uh, Goff doesn't pan out. Yeah, well, I think that's why, like, I think they really actually did want Goff. Um, and when you hear that report, it's a little hard to believe because of the picks the Rams traded. But when you see this offer, which I think, like, if you don't really like either of these quarterbacks, then the Panthers offer to me, yeah, it's clearly the better contract. And like you said, um, if they play the exact same way they played last year, there's not really a big difference between Goff and Bridgewater. Hell, you might rather have Bridgewater in that in that case. Um, but Goff is really young. He's got upside. Uh, he's His best year is better than Teddy's best year. And I think, like, the Lions clearly wanted that. They wanted to get on that ride and, and see what he's got. Maybe uh, last year was a fluke. So, yeah, it's because, yeah, I agree. I think I would rather have the Panthers offer in a vacuum. But if you actually like Jared Goff and think there's a chance that he can be your QB of the future, which maybe he can, man. He played really well two years ago. I, I, I think, like, yeah, I think that has benefits to it. And plus, the eighth pick is great and you do get someone good. But the Lions are not – they're not doing anything this year. You know, like, there's no way. I'd be really shocked. I think there's a chance that that coaching staff gets in there and they really, the players love playing for them, and Goff actually plays better than people think, and they go, like, 7-9. and nine. But like, I, I can't really envision them having a winning record. Yeah, <laughs> not, not with uh, the very limited weapons that they're going to have. You know, they, <laughs> we already mentioned this last week, but... Their top two receivers may not be back next year or this year. So, yeah. Hey, when you got a quarterback that doesn't like throwing the ball over 10 yards, if he's still on the team next year, keep an eye out for Rams legend Danny Amendola in fantasy. Boy, Might be well. sneaky. <laughs> Might be sneaky. Uh, okay. The Actually, let's take a quick break, and then we will get to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> 
Guys, I know we're all sad about the NFL season wrapping up here, but we still got a lot to look forward to in the next couple months. We still got the returning NBA and NHL. They're back. We got plenty of other sports to keep us occupied. I always tell people if they want to add a little excitement to the sports they love, they should be heading over to my bookie and getting in on some of the action. I use my bookie for one simple reason. They're the best. They'll even hook you up with a 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000 when you sign up, and they'll keep the good times rolling with giveaways, free bets, and huge contests all year long. Want to get on my bookie and get that get that big deposit bonus? It's simple. Sign up, enter promo code RAMSTALK, and get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. That's promo code RAMSTALK, no spaces in that, just R-A-M-S-T-A-L-K. Head over to my bookie today and start off 2021 on the right foot. This year... Don't bet with anyone else. Just bet with the best. Bet with my bookie. All right. The big news, the other big news for the Rams, besides Aaron Donald winning defensive player of the year, the 2021 NFL Hall of Fame class is out. Torrey Holt, who was on the ballot as a finalist, I believe he was a a second-time finalist this year. I think he was the finalist the first time last year. Does not make the cut. Ultimately, the five guys that make it are Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, all three of those guys, first ballot Hall of Famers. Then two guys that have been floating around on the ballot for a while, Guard Allen Fanica and Safety John Lynch. So I I pulled some stats for the Calvin Johnson versus Torrey Holt debate, which I feel like is what the most interesting topic for us here is. But I just want to get like your feel overall on this class. I... Listen, I think Torrey Holt deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for sure, and I think he will get in there. I honestly think he'll, he'll get in next year. But, like, this class is, is loaded. And John Lynch and Alan Fanica, the two non-first ballot guys, are two guys that have been floating on around for a while and two guys that I definitely think should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think it's a huge deal that they got in over Torrey Holt. I think maybe not Lynch, but I think Fanica should have been in over him. And then, obviously, Peyton Manning and Charles Woodson are – two of the biggest locks you'll ever have as first ballot Hall of Famers. And then Calvin Johnson, while I have a lot of issues with this because of how receivers have been treated prior to this year on the Hall of Fame ballot, is still a one of the best receivers to ever play the game and probably should be in the Hall. Maybe not first ballot. We could have that debate in a minute. But, like, I don't know how you feel. This is a, seems like a really solid class to me. It, it's It's tough because – it's kind of the approach on had he played out his career, you know, like a at least, you know, going well into his 30s. I think, you know, there's there would probably be no debate at all about him being a first ballot Hall of Famer. But it's kind of a, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda kind of thing because... It, it, it there's no doubt that Calvin Johnson was one of the better wide receivers to ever play the game, but he just had such a short career. It, it's it's weird, and I and I think part of the reason why he gets in is kind of the nod to. I know this is a completely different position and a completely different player, but kind of the nod to Barry Sanders as well. When he actually retired young as well. Uh, I think we're seeing a trend here. But... <laughs> Matt Stafford's still kicking, though. That's true. He that, got out. 
he got out. <laughs> and and pretty much if you look back on different interviews with Calvin Johnson, he basically said that if he if he could have gotten out of Detroit, he probably would still be playing. Which that says a lot. <laughs> it's insane. What a quote. It it really I mean, it shows how inept their franchise has been in the past few decades, really. So, so that that being said, I I want to say that as a Ram fan, I would love to see Tory Holt in this year. I mean, as you mentioned, Steve, he's gonna get in eventually, probably next year. At least I would hope it'd be next year. But I, I don't, I'm not terribly upset that Megatron gets in over Torrey Holt just because we knew what type of a wide receiver he, he was and what he could have been. And I just, I just sincerely hope that this argument comes forth for other players in the future. You know, guys like, you know, Steven Jackson, who you could make an argument could be a Hall of Famer if he was on a better team, you know? Uh, he has the stats to prove it. Um, just played on one of the worst worst franchises in, uh, or one of the worst teams in franchise history. So, you know, different things like that just... It's it's complicated to really know how to feel here, but I think overall, I'm not terribly upset that Megatron gets in, but I do think Torrey Holt should get in at, by next year. If he's not in by next year, that's when we should be upset. As you said, Steve, this is a killer class. Peyton Manning is not a surprise first balloter, neither is Charles Woodson. Fanica should have been in a lot sooner, but because he's an offensive lineman, yep. he, he he he's not gonna get you know that kind of prestige, you know. And a guard too. I feel like guards more like tackles get a lot more prestige than guards. This is true. That that's a fair point too. And yeah, yeah, the just the killer class. It's unfortunate for Tory Holt. I don't think right now you should bring out the torches, but next year if he's not in, bust out the torches. Yeah, so uh, I I pulled the numbers on on the Calvin Johnson versus Torrey Hall debate because I I think like we talk about that he retired so early and he did, but like the numbers from it's not like he were like. What did uh, Terrell Davis play? Like five years, right? Like it was something outrageous. Yeah. And, and he got in, and that was like the whole thing. Um, he Terrell Davis played. He basically played four years, um, and then had one year. He played seven full years, but he pretty much missed two of them. Uh, had one year at the end where he came back a little bit. But let let like so I I pulled the the accolades for Hall and Calvin Johnson. So Calvin Johnson's a six-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, two-times leader in receiving yards, made the 2010s All-Decade team, has seven 1,000-yard seasons, and four 1,300-yard seasons. Torrey Hall, and I, I believe, 
Let me count that for a second, Johnny. Those numbers are over the course of nine seasons. Uh, with Torrey Holt, he played 11 seasons. So he only played two more years than Calvin Johnson. He had, he's a seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, two-times receiving leader as well, made his own All-Decade team in the 2000s. He has eight 1,000-yard seasons, so one more than Calvin Johnson. He has six 1,300-yard uh, seasons, which is two more than Calvin. And the most bananas part about Torrey Hall is that he did those consecutively. Now, you, the the caveats here are even though Holt's numbers are, are better overall and he has 2,000 more receiving yards career-wise than Calvin Johnson does, Calvin Johnson actually has more touchdowns than Torrey Hall, even though he played two less years. Um, he... They both have two seasons of 1,600 or more receiving yards, which is tied for the most all-time. The other guys on the list were – I don't have it up, but I'm pretty sure it was Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, and either Jerry Rice or Randy Moss. All those guys I think will be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, obviously, one of them already is. But Calvin Johnson has the, the single-season receiving yard record, which is a big deal. 1,900-something yards. I don't have the exact number in front of me. And he, he's, uh, he's tied for the most 200-yard games in his career with five of them. Uh, I think it was tied with Lance Allworth. He has um, – he also can't – not that this really matters for Hall of Fame, but he did come within nine yards of Flipper Anderson's single-game single receiving yard record. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is the numbers aren't that much of a difference. He only played two less years, and I think – to me, I love Torrey Hall. He's he's a baller, but Calvin Johnson was the better player. And the two-year difference to me doesn't make all that much of a difference in this debate. I think Calvin probably does have the stronger resume. Um, you mentioned the, the worst team thing for Steven Jackson. Calvin Johnson put these numbers up on a bad team. He had a good quarterback, but this was not a good team. Whereas Torrey Hall, and this shouldn't take away anything from him. I'm just saying for this specific argument. Uh, Torrey Hall played in one of the best offensive systems ever, uh, but he also was competing for targets with another Hall of Famer, and Isaac Bruce, so that could kind of factor into why his numbers were a little lower. But I guess like the, the big long point here is both of these guys deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I actually think Calvin might be the, the better choice here, and I think the only reason this co- rubs me a little bit the wrong way is that he got it on the first ballot when Torrey has had to wait this long to get in. He's not even in yet. And, like, Terrell Owens wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he had a better career than Calvin. It's just, like, for him to be – he's probably the third receiver to get in first ballot at this point. Maybe there's some other guys that I can't remember in history. But, um, like, the last one to get in first ballot I think was Randy Moss. And I I don't know if they should be in the same thing. But also, this is, like, this is a stupid arbitrary thing. And more receivers should be getting in first ballot. I'm kind of glad he broke that. That's a fair point. I, I think the uh, the fact that it, it seems like receivers have to wait a couple years before they can even really be seriously considered is a tradition that needs to be broken just because there are so many talented freaking receivers that deserve to be first balloters. And, you know, uh, that that is good that he kind of breaks the stigma there, but... It's just odd that it was, you know, Calvin Johnson, you know, uh, again, not really a jab at him. It's just, you know, there are other guys out there that I felt could have been 
uh, first balloters that weren't. So, you know, it, I, I, I kind of agree with you there, Steve. Um, it, it's to me though, I'm, I'm still not upset that he's a first balloter or that he, uh, he got in before Tory Holt. It, it's like I said, though, if Tory Holt isn't in by next year, then there's reason to be upset. Yeah, I agree. Looking at next year's class, um, this was obviously an insane year of first ballot candidates. We didn't even mention Jared Allen, who is not in the same league as his other guys to me. But um, no. Peyton is maybe – he's like literally one, probably one of the ten best players ever. Uh, and Charles Woodson is one of the best deep secondary players ever. Um, next year, the only guy on – the ballot that seems like he should get in for his ballot is DeMarcus Ware. And he's not even nearly as close to a lock as like Charles Woodson is. Um, but I, I mean, personally, I think he should be, but that's, it's debatable and that's going to benefit Holt. Other guys like that didn't get in this year that are still on the ballot. Tony Baselli, Patrick Willis, Rondé Barber, Zach Thomas, Richard Seymour, Rodney Harrison, Leroy Butler, Jared Allen. Uh, I think, to me, like, Zach Thomas, I think, needs to get in, and I hope he does next year. But none of those guys are like, okay, this is, like, really their time. Um, whereas, like, Tory's in that boat, but I think that's going to benefit him. Here's what doesn't benefit Tory Holt. Reggie Wayne is still on the ballot. I think we could have a nice debate in a couple months on who deserves to get in between Tory Holt and Reggie Wayne. And while there's not any other really, like, huge names that are going to be first ballot next year, like DeMarcus Ware— Steve Smith, Andre Johnson, and Anquan Bolden are all going to be on the ballot. I don't, I don't personally don't think Anquan Bolden should sniff the Hall of Fame, but Steve Smith and Andre Johnson will, and I don't think either of them should get an overtory Hall. But like, it's that could be a little thorn here. Uh, I think the big debate is going to be him versus Reggie Wayne, and personally, I think they probably should both get in next year. And I also First- think like. We we should dive into this deeper, like actually look through all these players. But uh, I I do think Hall has a better resume than Wayne. Yeah, for sure. I, personally, I would not oppose Wayne and Holt getting in next year, but uh, I would be really disappointed if uh, Wayne gets in before Holt. I, you know, nothing against Reggie Wayne at all. I think he deserves to be in just like Holt does, but. I, I think Toy Holt certainly deserves it before him if it comes down to that. Yeah, I actually, like, I was looking, like, to see if there was any prediction articles on, like, who would get in next year. There's one from Pro Football Network, and they actually picked Steve Smith, um, which, like, <laughs> like, I, I, Steve Smith that has a really interesting case. The longevity helped him, um, and his peak was better than people remember, I think. But I think because of, like, the shade that the Hall of Fame has gotten for not putting in receivers first ballot, like, say, Terrell Owens, there's no fucking shot they put Steve Smith in as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, no way, especially with Wayne and Hall on the ballot, who they're—I would never make this case. But some people might make the case, like this guy did, that he is the best resume of the three. And it's not as crazy as a case as, like, you might think it is. Um, but there's no way that I can't imagine they would go that route just because like, you've got these two guys that have been sitting on the ballot for a bit. Steve Smith is not good enough to jump the line. Calvin Johnson might be, uh, pound for pound. He might be, he, one of the three or four best receivers ever. 
Uh, Steve Smith was not. No, I mean, Steve Smith was a very special receiver and certainly a different type of receiver, really, uh, especially if you compare him to that of, like, Megatron. But um, for that reason, I can understand why people might praise him a little bit more. But if you're going to compare him to the likes of Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne, I don't think there's any question. I think both of them deserve to be in the Hall of Fame before... Uh, Steve Smith, you know, no disrespect to Smith at all, because I, I think he he deserves to be in there at some point. Uh, just may just definitely not first ballot, and definitely not before Wayne and and Holt. Yeah, agreed for sure. And I like, I th- there's just no way they put him in first ballot. I'd almost think that they would put Andre Johnson in first ballot before they go Steve Smith, and I don't think he would sniff that either. Uh, they just. I don't know. They're they're both gonna be interesting cases, and like, I I really hope Hulk gets in next year because like, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Those two guys, and I think Andre Johnson even more, would, are going to be a thorn uh, for him. But that could be a fun podcast to really dive into in a couple weeks. Let's keep talking about the 2020 Rams as we put a bow on their season with round two of our player grades uh the so we're going to start out with a couple guys who could be cut candidates some of these guys they're almost certainly not going to get cut but i we're going to talk about them all anyways because they have you know cap salaries that would make sense in a way to cut if you had players that you could go after but i will sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. We'll talk about whether or not we think these guys actually have chances of getting cut. First guy on my list, Johnny, Rob Havenstein, right tackle for the Rams. Really fucking terrible in 2019. And in 2020, I think he bounced back. He was the 15th best tackle, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, Great out around an 80. I don't have his exact number up, but he was like 30 points higher in 2020 than he was in 2019. Uh, And I think he was about the same score as he got in 2018 when he was really good. I don't think he was quite as good as he was in 2018, but I am certainly not upset with how he played. Uh, I gave him a B plus. He allowed four sacks, but it wasn't the end of the world. There were some plays where, like, he really got cooked, but not many. And I think, like, 
my based on my expectations, he he exceeded them for sure. Based on how bad he was in 2019, there was a lot of people, I think us included, that thought that year was going to be a fluke, and it turns out it was. He's uh, still a pretty good player. I gave him a B plus. What do you think? Oh, he certainly exceeded my expectations just because if he was anything like the the tackle he was in 2019, <laughs> I I was not expecting much. It, in fact, it if I were to relate him to a Super Bowl, it would be this past one because he was that terrible. <laughs> I, I I had I had to throw in a job there. Oh man. I, I had to throw in a jab there. Can we just celebrate that another team didn't score a touchdown in the Super Bowl? <laughs> oh, man. The the Chiefs forgot to show up to the Super Bowl this year, man. Oof. Ah. <laughs> Let's talk about that a little at the end of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> okay, back to Havenstein. So, Havenstein did perform a lot better than I anticipated, you know, I didn't set expectations really high, obviously, but um, overall, he was really solid. There were like a few instances, like Steve mentioned, where I was like, man, I hope he doesn't revert back to to last year, but, you know, he always bounced back from his mistakes, and uh, that's that's good to see. You know, I offensive line uh, is one of the hardest positions to play in football, you know, and you can make an argument of which position is harder than another, but offensive line is really, really difficult, especially because the defense is getting bigger, stronger, and quicker every season. So I I I have to say that I was really impressed with what I saw in uh in Havenstein. Not perfect, but certainly a lot better than last year. So I, I agree with Steve with the grade as well. I, I gave him a B plus as well. Yeah, he so the the cut considerations with him, the Rams would actually save five million dollars, a little bit over that, if they were to cut Havenstein. They uh, they would eat three million in dead cap, but the savings is not a big deal if you go that route. I think it's pretty unlikely that he were to get cut or traded. I think he's probably here, but they're really tight on cap space. And if there is an avenue to getting a really good player, I think he would be one of the more likely guys they look to move because I think they actually could trade him and get value. Um, there's some guys on this list who I don't think they'd get huge value for. I think with Havenstein, you'll probably get at least a third round pick for him. He is a really competent tackle. I, I think, I don't think they'll be looking to do that. Um, but like if, a guy comes up and I'm sure we'll talk about some guys in the coming weeks that could possibly come up that like the Rams could go out and get. And one of the things they need to do to make it happen is to move Rob Havenstein. I think it's possible, but if I had to bet money, I'd say he's still on the team. I don't think he gets caught. I think really the only route is he gets traded. I think in a perfect universe that, you know, I, I think in a perfect universe that the, the Rams would, cut or trade Havenstein to get somebody else, you know, whether it be a same position or from an, or from another position. But the, the truth is one of the reasons why the Rams offensive line was uh, much better in 2020 is because they could rely on their depth. 
You know, that was something that was proven, uh, maybe not so much in the Packers game, but, uh, <laughs> but I, that, that's another story, long story, but the, one of the things that worked really well was, was the depth, you know, using Joseph Noteboom, not only as a guard, but as a left tackle that actually turned out much better. Was it perfect? Of course not, but it was something that they could rely back on and, you know, using Bobby Evans in a pinch, using David Edwards uh, at guard again. Let me it, tell you, using Bobby Evans in a pinch was not something we could rely on. As a guard, you're absolutely right. But as a tackle, I would argue with you there. Yeah. No, I agree. He was he was solid last year. Yeah. that <laughs> That's why when I brought up the, the Packers thing, that's because the Rams opted to start Bobby Evans at guard of all positions. That was, I don't even blame that on Bobby Evans as I do um, probably Sean McVay for putting him there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but again, different story. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you want to cut Rob Havenstein because then you're thinning out your offensive line. As you mentioned, you can't sign other guys to replace him. The, that luxury is kind of gone now. So you got to hold on to what you have. So while even if it's very tempting and enticing to bring in somebody else at another position, it, it would be nice, but very short term. To put things into perspective, if any one of these guys, whether it be Andrew Whitworth or anybody else, you know, falls in to, due to injury, we're kind of screwed, you know? That's why I think holding on to Havenstein would probably be more beneficial than cutting him. Because in the grand scheme of things, gaining $5 million while the Rams could use any cap space at all at the moment, I, I don't think that it's worth just gaining $5 million out of Havenstein. And, and I mean, that's the reason this discussion exists is because they're so pinch for cap space. And I think they'll figure out some things with restructuring contracts and a lot of, and stuff like that. But yeah, I think the only way you see Havenstein get moved is if they know that they have a player who is maybe not a, a tackle, but a very valuable piece that they could add. And the only way to do that is to free up some cap space and, I think there's guys more likely on this list that might get cut or traded before him, but um, he could be the appealing candidate because I do think you could actually get a good, a fairly decent pick for him, like a third round pick, um, which is maybe in comparison to somebody who was talking about in the middle, like in a little like Michael Brockers, who I don't know if you can get a third round pick for. You might rather get the third round pick, but I don't know. This is only if because they're so touch, because they're so tight on cap, like. They only do this if they know they could get somebody, not if they think they could get somebody. Like, if they know if I move Rob Havenstein, I can get this player, that's the only way I could see this happening. I don't think it's something they would look to do. It's something that they would only do if they had to. Um, in a normal year where you have cap space, this wouldn't even be an option. If we're talking about 2019 Rob Havenstein, I do this in a millisecond. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't get a third-round pick for 2019 Rob Havenstein. No, you don't. <laughs> it would uh, be a good candidate only. Uh, yeah, speaking of players who you definitely would get a third-round pick for, next guy on our list, Kenny Young. 
Uh, Kenny Ooh. Young, who we talked about a lot on this podcast, he played the much maligned position of being an inside linebacker on the Rams. Graded out on Pro Football Focus with a 38. Uh, that is 77 <laughs> out of 83 among inside linebackers. He finished eighth on the team in tackles at 52, despite being an inside linebacker that played in 16 games, played quite a bit in those games. Uh, he averaged a little. He averaged three and a quarter sack, three and a quarter tackles per game. Uh, he got out tackled by Sebastian Joseph Day. Uh, these don't feel like real things that we should be saying. Uh, my expectations were really low for this entire linebacker core, um, but I'm still giving Kenny Young a D plus because really didn't do much. Uh, it was almost non-existent in a lot of games. I originally gave him a D, but I upped it to a D plus strictly because I remembered the pick six against New England, and he gets half a grade for that alone. Um, it's like if you take a test and fail all the multiple choice questions but write a killer essay, uh, you don't get a failing grade. And um, I don't know, man. He If they cut him, they save $2 million outright, eat no dead cap. I think he's definitely getting cut. Steve, you make it sound like he gets credit for writing his name on the test. <laughs> you do on the SAT, I think, unless it's a myth. <laughs> I don't even remember, to be honest. But <laughs> anyway, the... Um, Kenny Young, I I don't really know how to feel about Kenny Young because I had really zero expectations going into the season. And to tell you the truth, it was based on what we already understood and knew about him. The fact that he we held on to him just kind of shows you how desperate the Rams were at inside linebacker. Not just held on to him. Played him a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. And I I get it. There were some injuries that prompted him to go higher on the depth chart, but the fact that they still had to rely on him is very disturbing. Honestly, you know this this guy clearly doesn't need a starting role or even remotely close to a starting role. He might be better as a special teamer only, but like even that, I you know he's not a very solid tackler. His coverage is mediocre at best, and while he did have a few strong plays here and there, uh, I remember Steve and I consistently texting each other on whether or not he was doing a a good job or not. Even making a surprise play, we would text each other, what the hell? (laughs) And he had a couple. And I think later in the year, he he did improve a little bit than he was earlier in the year. But not, like, it it was improving in the sense, like, if you drive a car and you crash it every time, and then the next time you, like, you don't crash, but you run a couple red lights. (laughs) Oh, man. I, I don't want to go to the driving school. <laughs> but anyway, um, not to beat a dead horse here, but Kenny Young was not that great, and my expectations pretty much matched what we really saw. So I gave him a D. You know, I, I think he did have some plays here and there, so he doesn't 
deserve an F, but uh No, and yeah. he he wasn't expected to be enough to get an F either. No. No. So uh yeah, I, I think D's a fair grade and I as as much as I like like the guy as a person and as a former UCLA Bruin, I hope he's not back as a <laughs> as a contributor. Really? I, yeah, I wouldn't mind having Kenny Young back as like the third linebacker. Yes. Um, but I think because we're so strapped for cash, and he actually has like two point one eight million for a guy at this level. Like most of the guys that they could cut, you save like nine hundred k. Uh, it's actually quite a bit, and like the other guys in that range, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Corbett, like you don't cut those guys if you're allowed to keep them for free. Uh, Kenny Young, I think, is very replaceable with pretty much anybody, and like I think you just cut him and figure it out. Yeah, with, without a doubt, I completely agree with that. And yeah, it's a new it's a new defensive coordinator though. They did say it will be a similar scheme. I I I don't think you bring him back. Uh, you need that money. Ever they're going to be counting pennies. Yeah, that that is for sure. And if you could save two million on, on uh, him alone, I I think you go ahead and do it. Yeah. Next guy, Tyler Higby. Uh, I do want to preface Tyler Higby like start with the cutting thing. Tyler Higby, if you cut him, you save. Two point six seven million. You eat four point eight million in dead cap. He would be like an absolute last case scenario. I think you cut just because you're you're gonna lose Gerald Everett, um, and it, you don't really save that much money, and you eat more cap than you'd save. I don't think you cut him. Uh, get that out of the way. But degrade Tyler Higby. Uh, he was all right this year. He had forty four catches for five hundred twenty yard one yards and five touchdowns. So. Three of those five touchdowns came in one game early in the season. He was fine. Like, he blocked all right, caught some passes. But we talk about expectations. The last five games of 2019, he had 43 catches for 522 yards and two touchdowns. So he had more yards in those five games than in the 15 games he played this year. And last year, like, when we had that blow-up, it was kind of like, wow. Like, we paid this guy kind of a lot of money, uh, and he actually looks like he might be worth it. When going into last year, he had done basically nothing. Uh, He'd been, like, the definition of, like, a replaceable, okay starting tight end. But I think he reverted back down to that this year. There was nothing that he did that really impressed me. Um, And maybe those five games were just – a fluke. Uh, they're paying him 7.4, basically 7.5 million when you round up in 2021. And I'd rather spend that money elsewhere. If we're being honest, I don't think they'd cut him, but like, he just, he kind of reverted back to being like, Ugh. and I mean, yeah, for that reason, like my expectations were pretty high. I, I'm going to give him a, I don't know. I think I'm going to give him a D. Honestly, because I expected a lot better. And he was really fucking killer at the end of 2019. And maybe he was getting over-targeted, sure. But he he outside he had one game where he sniffed that, and it was just because he found himself in the end zone a bunch. Uh, he never really sniffed that level beyond that one game. Yeah, I, I think uh, you and I, Steve, had 
very high hopes for Tyler Higby in 2020, and it just it didn't even come close to that expectation. But to be honest, I don't know how much of that is Tyler Higby, how much of that was Sean McVay and the play calling, and how much of that was Jared Goff. That's why like I'm trying to give him a bit of the benefit of the doubt. And then to top that off too, he did kind of play injured a couple games as well. You know, it wasn't like uh, something that happened all year long. But he did have a couple nagging injuries here and there. So, um, in fact, I believe he missed two games, if I'm not mistaken. He missed one game, I think. Maybe he came out of another game, though, now that I think about it. Okay. I, th- I think he basically – I just had his page up. Where did I put it? Uh, I feel like he came out of a game. And, and th- eh. Yeah, I, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> not worth looking at. Yeah, so as far as uh, Tyler Higby goes, I still have a lot of faith in the guy just because I think this this season was just such an odd year for the passing game in general. And the fact that the Rams really didn't throw the ball downfield and you know even the mid-range targets were down from previous years, which is saying a lot. That's that's not something you want to see in your offense. That's not really something a tight end can really take advantage of either. So I I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, especially because he's still a solid blocker, meaning that there's more to a tight end than just, you know, pass catching. That's just the modern day NFL, you know, loving the pass catching tight ends more than you know, uh, better all-around tight end. Not to say that he was a flawless blocker or anything, but he was certainly serviceable and one of the better, uh, you know, starting tight end blockers, in my opinion. So, for that reason, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Also attributing to his blocking skills, I'm giving him a C+. I am not by any means saying that he was great, he didn't even sniff my ex- expectations, but I think he did an okay job, and uh, I think I will still have high expectations for him in 2021. Hopefully, Matthew Stafford can get him the ball. I mean, look what he did with TJ Hawkinson, so maybe uh, Higby can move up a little bit more. Yeah, I I hope so. Um, here's a crazy stat for you. Pro Football Focus run blocking grade. Tyler Higby, not the highest rated tight end in run blocking on the team. Really? Gerald Everett was point one higher. So I mean, it's pretty meaningless. <laughs> but I thought that was funny. I uh, <laughs> that just kind of surprised me. I yeah, I don't think he's getting cut. He doesn't. He has. You can cut him if you need a fucking penny. But what are you going to replace him with? The, the Bryson Hopkins isn't ready. He may never be ready. Just keep Higby around, like you said. Stafford has targeted tight ends in the past. I think he, he could be good for him. Next guy, Michael Brockers. Uh, the longest tenured Ram on the team. Been here since 2012. One of the last remnants of the St. Louis days. This year, uh, from Pro Football Focus, he graded out as a 63.9, which is actually the same grade he had in 2018, which we all considered a down year. That being said, I don't think he was nearly uh, at that level as he was in 2018. He actually 
had five sacks, so it's the most he had since 2013. Five tackles for loss, 10 QB hits. I gave him a B plus, man. I think he was solid. Uh, I my expectations weren't like mine, like shockingly high, but he he's about as reliable as he's ever been this year, despite the the Pro Football Focus grade that was worse than last year. He seemed reliable to me, and I I think he played well in a lot of big spots. He was an important player to have. I mean, plus I feel good about having him around. Uh, I will never complain about him being on the team. Well, I guess I can't say that for sure, but I probably won't. I do like complaining. <laughs> I think every fan does. But um, as far as Michael Brockers is concerned, it, it's hard not to like the guy. I mean, he's been such a serviceable player his entire career. As we mentioned countless times on this podcast, he's one of the most unselfish players you can come across. And he he does actually help all the defenders around him. While we kind of give Aaron Donald all the glory for obvious reasons, it we kind of forget about Michael Brock- Brocker's contributions. And Aaron Donald himself will continuously tell you that he's just as important part of the team as he is, which might be a bit of a stretch. But you know, it's uh, definitely you know, a little bit of a stretch. But uh, you love to hear it from a teammate. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, so that being said, I I was actually surprised in his production this season. I mean, I understand he's playing next to Aaron Donald, but you have to understand that Michael Brockers is not getting any younger. He's not old or anything, old, old or anything, but he's getting up there. He's not getting any younger, and he's still playing at a you know pretty decent level. So uh, as you mentioned, Steve kind of got up there more with sacks, something that you not tend to seeing with a guy like Michael Brockers because he's more of a guy that will help you get the sacks rather than him getting the sacks. So yeah. that's that's impressive. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to be still an important cog to this uh, defensive line and uh, happy that, he, that he's back. So as long as he continues to play the way he does, uh, I, I have no problems with him i i also gave him a b plus i wasn't perfect but you know what i i'm i think i'm happier with him than without him so he is a little interesting though in that you can cut him you eat five million 5.1 million in dead cap but you save 0.4.6 million and i think out of the guys that could save in that bucket of money if they were to be cut which is pretty much him Andrew Whitworth and Rob Havenstein, he would be the most likely to get cut out of the three to me because you have um, Sebastian Joseph Day there and you have Ashawn Robinson there and you might have Morgan Fox there, although we'll see about that. Um, I think it's an easier void to fill than Havenstein, even if Brockers might be a little valuable to the team and the team culture. Uh, you have guys behind him. That could play. I didn't even mention Greg Gaines, who who has appeared at times and been okay. Um, I like I said with the Haven sign, you only look to move these guys if you absolutely have to, and you know that you can get a good player to upgrade that position. Also, like they are in the negative cap space, so they are going to have to do something. Uh, maybe re- re- I think you can probably restructure enough to get out of the dead cap, but if they want to add players of value they'll probably have to look at cutting Brockers. And I 
Blake Havenstein, if I had to bet on it, I would say he's on the team. But if one of those three guys wasn't going to be on the team next year, I would think it would be him. Yeah, I would agree with that because, like you said, there are players there to replace him should he be cut. And let us not forget, there was, you know, a very real possibility that he wasn't going to play in a Rams uniform last season. Right. I mean, he was almost a Baltimore Raven. So, yeah, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a big surprise if the Rams went another way with uh, Michael Brockers just because they damn nearly did it last year. I personally wouldn't want them to do that just because I feel like he is an important piece. But if if they absolutely have to, considering the cap space situation, I think he's probably the best one out of the other guys you mentioned, like Havenstein and, and Whitworth. Uh, you know, especially not Whitworth. But, right. uh, yeah, just... Uh, yeah, I, I would I would stick with uh, Brockers if you can. If not, yeah, I guess go ahead and cut him if if you absolutely have to. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, we we've been going for like an hour. Let's get let's get one more guy in, Andrew Whitworth, because we've mentioned him a bunch of times. Uh, played in nine games, I think was the number in the regular season this year. He missed some time with an injury, but still graded out as the sixth best offensive tackle on Pro Football Focus, 86.8 Pro Football Focus grade. Didn't allow a sack all year. Um, I actually, while he was our best lineman last year, it seemed like he lost a little bit of his step. I didn't see that this year. Uh, He played fucking phenomenal. I I gave him an A+. I I don't know what else I need to add. The guy's incredible. Uh, You can save... Five mil if you cut him, five point three million. I don't think you do. I, I really don't think you do. Uh, he's very valuable. Uh, he's the best offensive lineman the Rams have had since Orlando Pace. Not not really even close. Uh, I he's he's gonna be back next year, and he's I just like Tom Brady, man. I I think he's gonna be being good no matter how old he is. You know, if you grade him anything lower than an A+, you're either a hater or you just haven't watched him play football. I mean, it's like Steve said. He did seem like he was a little bit on the decline in 2019. He still played phenomenal, just he wasn't the Andrew Whitworth we were all accustomed to seeing. And in 2020 he looked even better than he did in 2019 uh despite the you know injury situation even when he came back from the injury it's like he didn't get injured at all you know he played extremely well and for a guy not to allow a sack which by the way shows a lot more about Jared Goff than people want to realize <laughs> i'm just saying i'm just saying um that that's impressive, you know. Th- this is a guy that just doesn't age, and I'm I'm content with this guy playing into his fifties if he's playing the well way he's playing. You know, I I think that this guy uh, is someone that the Rams need to hold on to, and um, even if they go on to like a you know a year to year contract, I'd be okay with that too. They kind of did that with Orlando Pace at the end of his career, if you guys recall that. 
um, you know, yep. basically did year to year contracts. So I'm okay with them doing that with Whitworth also. Yeah, he's on the books for the next two years, which is wild. Uh, next year, much more cuttable. Um, depends what their salary cap situation is next year, but he could he could be a cut candidate next year. I don't really think he is this year. Uh, all right, let's save the rest for a future pod. We talked about the Super Bowl a little bit because we didn't do it. Um, obviously, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who lost to the Rams this year, won the game 31-9, and uh, just a – Fucking unbelievable performance by that defense, man. Just did not allow the Chiefs to do anything, despite Pat Mahomes making some of, like, the the craziest incomplete pass throws I've ever seen in my life. Just, like, literally on the ground, just chucking in the end zone. Um, but, shit, man, seven, seven rings for Brady. It's pretty, pretty unbelievable. Can I tell you my I, – I, I actually counted this out. There were actually five things that I enjoyed about this Super Bowl. Just Just five things. (laughs) Number one, the violins in the halftime show were actually really nice. I freaking hated the halftime show. It was one (laughs) of the reasons... It it was one of the reasons why the Super Bowl was just so terrible... Uh, you know, if you if there are any weekend fans out there, I'm sorry, but he sucked. Uh, um, you're talking to one. He was okay. He sucked, dude. He. <laughs> I will say, out of the halftime show, I really enjoyed the violins that were in the background. I'm I'm not one to point that kind of thing out, but they were impressive. I I really enjoyed that. Uh, <laughs> love it. Violin discussion on the pod. I'm here for it. Yeah, you know, uh, number two, the the guy that kind of uh, ran onto the field that was that was pretty exciting. And um, a, a glorious call from uh, Kevin Harlan, reminiscent if you heard it on the radio broadcast, reminiscent of his call from the fan running out of the field in the Rams Forty ers game in twenty sixteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, number three. I, I love kind of the trash talk between Tom Brady and Tyron Matthew, especially because there wasn't much going on in this game. So seeing <laughs> seeing that going back and forth, it, it was kind of hilarious because it was just so stupid and pointless. It just made it entertaining. And uh, number four... I enjoyed seeing both these head coaches on in a Super Bowl capacity. You know, for one thing, I always thought Bruce Arians was one of the more underrated head coaches in the NFL. Andy Reid is still one of the best head coaches. So, um, kind of makes you think, if you're an Arizona Cardinal fan, why the hell did you get rid of Bruce Arians? I think he retired, right? Did he? I think he did. Maybe it was a mutual departure, but I feel like I'm gonna look it up. I feel like he retired and then came back. Well, if that's the case, then okay, the Arizona's a little bit forgiven there. But uh, <laughs> if they let him go for any reason other than the fact that he retired, then uh, he, Arizona yeah, should. He, 
he did retire, but like who knows? He might he might have been on his way out. Yeah, maybe. Um, and then number five, it ended. <laughs> <laughs> that those are my top five things that I really enjoyed in the Super Bowl. Steve, did I miss anything? I mean, you missed some of those Pat Mahomes passes from the fucking ground uh, while he's getting eaten alive by the the Bucks defense. And shout hey, shout out to Rams legend for winning the Super Bowl for the first time, Ndamukong Sue. That's true. A former that that Ram. is true. Ndamukong Sue did win a ring. Uh, but by the way, I I didn't include the Patrick Mahomes throws from the ground. Because as impressive as those throws were, it was even equally unimpressive on how the receivers dropped the ball. <laughs> yeah, the one that hit Darius Williams in the face was insane. I was uh, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Mahomes is giving his heart here, and you're throwing it away. The the one where, um, that one I think was on the right side of the field. The one on the left side of the field was a very hard ball to catch. That was not an easy play. I think Pringle didn't come down with it, but... That was like an impossible catch. Either way, like the the throws were fucking nuts. Um, like I love how people are using like I people are using this to knock Mahomes. Like, what are you doing? Stop it! And also, like, I, I like I don't really think this should affect anyone's opinions on if Tom Brady is the best quarterback of all time or not. Like, you either had that opinion or not going into this game. I don't think this is what does it. Uh, it's another ring. It's insane. It's incredible. Um, you, you already have that opinion, or you didn't. It depends on how much you value championships. Yeah, I, I mean, whether you love or hate the guy, the man has seven championship rings. Yeah, that's that's nuts, dude. I I <laughs> I, I would be happy to see our, one of our quarterbacks have one championship ring. You know, in, be- in between Tom Brady's third Super Bowl and his seventh Calvin Johnson got drafted and made the Hall of Fame that, that's insane <laughs> like the, that's an insane perspective yeah that I saw that a lot that was that was fucking crazy like out, outrageous man it, it is nuts um but yeah and sadly that's our only football until 20 or till August hopefully we have preseason yeah, and a congrats to the NFL, I guess, for getting through it. Um, they don't deserve that much congratulations because, like, <laughs> truly, they had no plan, and they were just not canceling games that probably should have been canceled. Uh, yeah. That when looking at that Wednesday night football game that never should have been played is fucking unbelievable that that game got played. Uh, <laughs> still, they finished the season on time. Yeah, uh, it is. It is somewhat of an accomplishment, and I'm happy for it. <laughs> Let's hope for a better 2021 season. Yeah, yeah, man. Hopefully, everyone can get vaccinated by the time that season happens. Uh, all right. Well, we got a lot of player grades that we'll continue to get through over the next couple of weeks. But we, like I said, we got a long time before football, so. Keep rolling them out by pod by pod. Uh, you got any parting thoughts here, Johnny? Uh, hopefully, a better 
Super Bowl in 2022. Tom, uh, Super Bowls that Tom Brady wins, I feel like, are rarely great games. Besides the Falcons game. That's an all-timer. Oh, man. The, and I guess, the I greatest guess the, choke. Like, I guess the Rams, the first Rams-Patriots game would be considered a good Super Bowl. As far as I'm concerned, that Super Bowl never the happened. The worst one. Yeah, it's the worst Super Bowl we've ever had. <laughs> but Super Bowls that Tom Brady loses, classics. Yep. That that Patriots-Eagles Super Bowl might be the best one we've had in the last decade. Yeah. That game fucking ruled. Always nice to see uh, Tom Brady not win one. Amen. Uh, all right. Well, talk to you guys next week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter if you're on there, at Cibarero, at Johnny Fevna6, at Talk Rams. Uh, and give us a five-star review if you haven't yet. Uh, and if you enjoy the pod, if I would hope that if you didn't enjoy the pod, you're not sitting through 70 minutes of this. Uh, if you don't like this podcast and you're still listening, please don't listen anymore. Uh, as much as I want you to say. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.